trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. You can run a red light unintentionally. You can back into a car, and that's a mistake. No person who has ever been raped was raped by accident. Rape is never an accident. It is never a mistake. It is a deliberate act, and it is the greatest theft of the soul ever committed in humanity. Because rape steals your ability to trust yourself, to make choices, to live your life without living in this loop of despair. No person should have to live like that. Hi, survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry, and this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay. I'm really excited today because I just, today is going to be a good day. Today is going to be a good day? Uh-huh. I, I love that. I love this outlook. It is today. Every day is a good day. Yes. Every day is a good day. Now, you know, and, and every day is usually a day where I play Wordle, and I lost Wordle today. I had a great streak going, and I, I know you, your face says it all right now. I, I lost on word. I had a, like a like a thirty day streak, and it's just it ended today in a big ball of flames. Oh no! And the word and well, I well it doesn't matter. I can say what the word was. The word was bully because it won't be out for <laughs> till till after. But the word was bully, and I couldn't get bully. I thought it was bulky. I kept guessing. It was terrible. I failed on Wordle, but it's still a good day. But I usually have a word of the day, but but apparently, Tara, you have something that you want to teach our audience today and, and something that you said that I, that I that I don't really know what it is. Well, I asked you what it was. I was like, do you know what this is? And, and then I you said, were like, I no, do not. I do not really at all, no. And so that's why you tell I, us what it is. Yeah, and that's why I got so excited because I was like, today's going to be a good day because I get to teach you something. Let's have it. <laughs> <laughs> so the word is trauma dump. Okay. And trauma dumping is when you basically tell someone someone's trauma, like either yours and you just like tell the whole story, you tell a version of the story, or you tell someone else's story that is trauma and you just kind of dump it on that person. So say what I do to you sometimes, and that's why I want to make you aware of this word so you could put up boundaries when you can't take it. <laughs> Because I notice I affect you sometimes when I just will say people's stories. And being in the true crime world, it's just really common to be like, oh, this person was stabbed today. Oh, this person yeah, was molested. it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming for sure. Okay, but now I know what that is. And I love that. See, I, I think I had a different name for it, which is just like, you know, please don't. I, I think I'll say this. <laughs> like, please don't bring that shit over here. I don't want to hear that shit. So, but uh, now I know that it's called trauma dumping and, and uh, now I can set that as a boundary of like the rest of the people in my life be like, don't trauma dump on me today. Don't, I want to hear it. Don't trauma dump on me. <laughs> well, I think when you want to trauma dump and when you are aware of trauma dumping, you need to ask if the other person is okay. Do you have space to handle this right now? And I think that that is always great because we talk about consent with our bodies. Let's talk about consent with our minds. 
I like this. And I also am thinking of a t-shirt because there is, there would be these like places that say like no dumping, uh-huh. but then it could be like no trauma dumping. Oh so, th- so that would be a great t-shirt for the podcast. I think we should okay. do those. I love it. Let's create it right away. Anyways, so speaking of trauma dumping, we did have, so we have a guest on today. Her name is Sandra Booker and she has shared with us her story. And uh, do you want to give our audience a little bit of a background? Yes, Sandra Sandra Booker is a musician. She's in the jazz community. And I think, well, I will say she's very talented. But here's the thing. When you are in the entertainment industry, there are so many people that are very idolized. And it's a very tight community. So when you piss someone off or when someone creates rumors or, you know, slander someone, then a lot of people take the perpetrator's point of view. And this is another situation where this happens. And today we're going to get into Sandra's story. I'm going to take this one step further. As a musician who went to music school, this is why (laughs) catty musicians and all the bullshit. And what I heard was listening to her story. I just thought like, Oh God, I just, this is one of the things that I hate about this is that just people, they try, start to draw battle lines and they start to take sides and it's just so commonplace, you know, and, um, it is, it is one of the negative parts of the entertainment industry for sure. But let's, let's hear Sandra share with us her, her story because there's a lot of inspiration in it too, because she's come out and she's become stronger. Yes. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Well, Sandra, why don't you start to tell us your story? My name is Sandra Booker. I am a singer, songwriter, composer. I'm a playwright, and I've also been in a social justice activist, I would say, for most of my life. In 2015, a former friend and colleague reached out to me and said he wanted to make amends as part of his 12-step recovery. He was in rehab for marijuana anonymous or marijuana usage. And uh, this was somebody that I had to put out of my life because on occasion he would just do things that were inappropriate. He didn't seem to really understand that there are boundaries and they may have seemed like minor things. You know, one time he came to my home and I think I was downstairs doing the wash, but the door was open because I'm doing my wash. And he came in and he just went in the bathroom and started taking a shower like he lived there. So when I came in my apartment, I'm, I was really kind of like stunned, like there's somebody not only in my bathroom, but there's somebody in my bathroom in the shower. And he couldn't understand why I got angry. He couldn't, he, he was literally like, what's the big deal? And I'm like, the big deal is you don't live here. You don't pay rent here. You're not my intimate partner and would have that kind of permission. And to come into my house, disrobe yourself, get in the shower and take a shower as if you live here. And without taking the time to say, hey, Sandra, I've got another gig later. Is it okay if I come to your place and I take a shower and get ready to go to my gig? And he screamed and yelled at me in my own house. 
Not only did he do that, he called his best friend over to my house to tell me I was overreacting. And the thing is, the friend showed up and seemed to side with him. There was another uh, occasion where he was in my home. And I thought this was somebody that, I thought this was a friend, you know. I left him in my house to run an errand. I trust you enough to leave you in my house. And he went in my bedroom and went in my uh, nightstand and he stole some things out of my nightstand. Oh, wow. And I knew he did it and I confronted him on it. There was another time I was driving somewhere and out of nowhere, this guy reaches over and tries to kiss me. And I'm like, dude, what is wrong? I mean, how, how many times are you allowed to be inappropriate with me? Or, or if he, you know, be in my home and he just pick up an, uh, you know, a piece of paper, like he had the right to read it. And I'm like, so I, I really left him alone for a long time. And other people had problems with him like that. You know, he had been evicted from where he was staying back, I think in like the late nineties, because he was stealing marijuana from his roommate. Like he just didn't understand there's some things you shouldn't do, or he would borrow a guitar from a friend and just never give it back. Or he'd give it back. And the, you know, it was busted up and well, hey, man, but I'm a good guy, you know, I'm, and he's always kind of doing that, you know, I'm a good guy. And I've learned that when somebody has to tell you they're a good guy, they're not really no. probably somebody to steer clear. Yeah, not really. Yeah. But it's that facade. And uh, in 2015, I hadn't seen him in years. The last time I had seen him, I had hired him to do a gig for me. He's a guitar player. And this guy showed up and I don't know what kind of drug he was on, but he just played like something was very wrong. I paid him and I was like, you know what? You got to wish this guy good luck. And that's it. But in 2015, he reached out to me saying, hey, I'm rebuilding my life. I want to be a better person. I'm in rehab. Um, I'm trying to fix myself. And you were always that one person that kind of kicked me in the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the gonads and said, hey, get your stuff together. You know, you're the re I mean, he said to me, you're the reason that I went and found a therapist. And I appreciate it. And I just want to be a better person. And this was somebody I not only loved for a long time, I was actually in love with this guy. So, but I, but there was something about him that made me say, keep your mouth shut. And whatever those feelings are that you have for him, you're going to keep that to yourself. Yeah. But when he was saying how hard he was working to be a better person, I wanted to support him. I wanted to encourage him. You know, if that's what you're doing, I'm here for you and I'm here for all of it. And I'd say about eight weeks, I was like, I can't have anything to do with this process because I got the feeling you're saying one thing, but your attitude and your behavior is saying something completely different. And I was having a physical, intimate relationship with him. But I just decided I didn't want to be connected or committed to somebody, certainly not emotionally committed to somebody that was in rehab. And then I found out he wasn't just in rehab for drugs, but he was in rehab for sex addiction. And I think if he had disclosed that to me, he knew I would have been on the other side of Kinshasa to get away from him. And when I tried to break the relationship off, he sexually assaulted me. He invited me to his home for a guitar lesson. And I was there and, you know, we had engaged in consensual relations and then he raped me. Yeah. And I said, don't tell anybody. I came home the next morning and I told my roommate, I mean, I, t I told my best friend, I couldn't bring myself to tell my roommate. I was like, just get on with your life. I had put together a tour. 
I was just getting back to get to singing again because I had been in a devastating car accident in 2007 where a city bus went through a red light and slammed into me. And my arm was internally severed. I was trying to graduate from college. At the time, I was an ethnomusicology major at UCLA. They said, you're going to need to take off a year. I said, no way in the world. I took off a semester. And I still went to school with an internally severed arm that was 70% severed a year after my accident. Oh, wow. So, so sorry. you know, I was battling all these things. And then this guy comes along and he's like, hey, I love you. I want to be with you. And I'm deciding for myself. You know, people say, well, why did you stay? I wasn't staying. Well, why did you still let him come around? Because I know how this guy was in the past when I told him, hey, you got to get out of my house. You know, it takes a lot of gonads to scream at somebody in their own home when they're telling you, you are violating my boundaries. You are not respecting my space. You are not respecting me. Yeah. What was so devastating was in 2016, I was diagnosed with cancer. And word got around that, you know, I was sick and he, you know, popped up like a bad penny. And he couldn't come back around and say, hey, I know I promised you guitar lessons and I'm going to make good on that. I wouldn't have wanted those lessons if they were if, if he was Jesus Christ. But he didn't do that. What he came to do was triangulate me between a woman that he was having an affair with. She was married and he was having an affair with her. And, you know, he started telling me how he loved her and and she but she didn't want to be with him anymore. And I'm like, well, dude, you're basically an addict turned gigolo. How can I, you know. Why, what, what, what does any of this have to do with me? I'm literally suffering from cancer. And I believe that cancer is the result of the trauma you caused me by sexually assaulting me. Delta, completely over his head. And then he says, well, she doesn't want to be with me anymore. And I'm like, dude, it, I mean, I shouldn't use the term dude, but that's how he talks. So that's how I talk to him. I'm like, if you've been in a 10 month relationship with a woman who's in an open marriage, and of course she's in an open marriage because that takes the responsibility of your involvement in it off of you. But if you're in a relationship with a woman like that, why would you come tell that to anybody else? Why would you want to make any of that public considering how it may bounce back on her? This is a woman that's married with two kids. He didn't care, but he somehow kept trying to make me jealous. And I'm like, you cannot make me jealous of a woman that is cheating on her husband to the extent that she would invite you to her home on the holidays to sit there with her children and her husband and her parents and her in-laws. And the idea that you're the kind of guy that would do that speaks volumes about you. I need you to stay away from me. The worst part was when I stood up for myself and tried to get this guy away from me, it was the enablers that rallied around him and really ostracized me, shunned me, gaslighted me. And I'm saying to myself, you guys can no longer claim, you know, Black Lives Matter. I don't want to hear you open your mouths about the Me Too movement because you are the people that make these predators a reality. And you're the people that give them the power to keep hurting other people. Because if one of you had stood up and said, this is not okay, what you're doing is not okay. And I can't be your friend in this. If you're going to do this, man, you're going to need to do this on your own. I'm not going to stand in solidarity with you on this one. And I asked people, the guy's not rich. He's not famous. He's popular within the jazz community, especially here in L.A. What would be my motivation? 
what would be, there's no money to gain for me. So why would I say this about somebody just to say it? Yeah. And no one cared. Well, these perpetrators, a lot of the times, seem to bring the conflict onto the other person. You know, oh, they asked for it. They were doing this. They did that. And it's all their fault. And then they are so charming and charismatic that they bring all these other people into this world and then create this spam and this, uh, you know, slander against someone. So I'm just sorry you had to experience that. He did a masterful job of making himself the victim because I, I did stand up for myself. You know, I called him out at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art and I called him a rapist in public and I threw water on him and he had no problem going to the police and filing an assault charge against me. But when the police came back to investigate, this same guy said, I refuse to cooperate. And he refused to cooperate with the police. But when I went to the police to finally file charges against him for sexual assault, rape, they didn't even take my report. So I sat there for two hours telling them how I had been assaulted, where it happened, what took place. I got a copy of the police report doesn't even, it, it has my name on it and the name of the two officers and that's it. That's it. They, they, so they didn't do any follow-up. They didn't go see him, nothing. And one of the officers, when I initially filed my complaint, he said to me, well, do you have video of the rape? Like you're going to film him sexually assaulting you? Like I would take the time, but this is the humiliation. And if the police don't think that's enabling, well, they're wrong too, because that's enabling. What woman is being raped. And well, you know, I think if I just take the time to film it, maybe people will believe me. But I'm like, but he sent me an email the next morning asking me if I blocked my number. So he played dumb and wasn't aware that what he had done was violate you and rape you? Is that what you're saying? Like he Oh no, he knew because that's why he sent me an email the next morning asking me if I blocked my number. Look, if everything was fine between us, why would you ask if I blocked my number? How many times yeah. did you try to call me before you came to the realization that she probably blocked her number? Yeah. And he went through every, you know, all the cliches. We remember it differently. You knew what you were getting into. Um, you know, I didn't really hurt you. He started sending me emails when I was living in France because I was going to move to France to get, you know, start my life over. And this guy started writing me, telling me he loved me. Uh, I kept one of the emails because I would just see it and erase it. But then I ended up keeping one. And it was like, you know, I hope you're happy. I hope you're comfortable with love. And I'm like, do you really think you're going to be able to seduce me into not standing up for myself? I couldn't walk my dogs at night. He was an AA or MA or SA or whatever it is. And he would drive up and down the street where I lived. And I told my roommate, I said, I can't walk the dogs at night anymore. I didn't tell him why initially, but I would see his car. And, you know, he sent me emails telling me I got a birthday present for you. But aren't you dating another man's wife? So he started stalking you in essence. Yeah. Trolling me. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd started working with another musician. He knew all about these photographs. And he was like, I want to know what happened between you and that guy. Why do you care? Wow. And everybody still stood by him. I mean, people that came and sat in the wow. hospital with me when I was going through surgery for cancer, these were the people that went back and gave him information about me. And he wow. let me know it. And in April, it was, I think it was March of 2018, I completely flipped out. 
And I, I did, I attacked him and I said, I'm gonna tell everybody what you did to me. Yeah. And you know what he said to me? Your friends are my friends and they will stand by me. And I told him, I said, well, I'm gonna have to find out. And you know what I found out? People that have known me for nearly three decades, literally stopped speaking to me. Mover Nation, you guys all know how I lead a really busy life, right? And I know we could all use a little more relaxation. Now, whether you're trying to chill out or just need a good night's rest, Next Evo's CBD will be your best friend. But, and this is big, not all CBD products are created equal. Shockingly, a study found that many CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels promise. I've been trying out Next Evo Naturals and Movers, it's the real deal. And their commitment? Well, it's giving you exactly what's on the label. Remember, they've undergone four clinical trials, a feat unmatched by any other brand of CBD. Now, I personally adore their Stress CBD Complex Gummies. When I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, they are a total game changer. And those nights when sleep is all too elusive for me, the triple action CBD sleep does absolute wonders. Leave summer stress behind and upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com forward slash MPT to get 25% off plus a free bottle of premium pure CBD, a $50 value limit one use per customer. That's nextevo.com slash MPT. One person even contacted people as far away as Paris, France and said, I had to disassociate myself with her because she went crazy. Well, what do you think rape does to a woman? Yeah. Well, it's crazy because when that happens, your brain is completely changed and then you're in the fight or flight mode and then you're not really noticing until you're like, oh, what's wrong with me? You know, what's happening to me? That it really affects everything afterwards. Oh, I knew he, I, I knew what had happened. Yeah. And I knew I, I had a, a very clear understanding of what happened and why he did it. I told him, I said, you know, I love you, but I can't be with an addict. And that was because of, you know, family issues and having people in my family who had addiction issues. You know, I'm very candid about my life. My mother uh, killed my father in a domestic violence situation because my dad was on drugs. And so at 12 years old, I watched my mother shoot and kill my father. Oh, wow. Oh my God. So I could not commit myself to somebody. If you're on a drug, I want you to get help and I'm willing to help you, but I can't be in a relationship because there's nothing to build a relationship on. Yeah. I had no reason to believe a man that had been telling me that he was in love with me and loved me and had wanted to be with me for nearly 20 years would rape me. And four days after he assaulted me, and you can go to YouTube and look up a video called The Hoax of Rehab, I called this guy out on stage. He came and showed up to do the gig as if nothing happened. And I took that as my opportunity to call him out on stage. I kept all of the Facebook messages where he wrote me and said, hey, I'm rebuilding my life. You and I are up, it's our time. Um, you know, I wanna make amends with you. It's part of my recovery. I kept everything. And I made that video, I think more for me than anybody, but I posted it in 2015. So 
he couldn't say, oh, well, she's just doing this because she's jealous of my married girlfriend or whomever he was dating. And people were angry at me because I posted that video. I mean, people literally said, well, you did the wrong thing by posting that video as opposed to, well, what would make her make a video like that? Yeah. The worst part was the way that I've been treated. It, you know, it cost me my health. It cost me my career. It cost me my reputation. It cost me my joy. It cost me when I needed to be working as part of my cancer recovery, I couldn't work anymore. And a very prominent cancer support center here in Los Angeles, in the Sherman Oaks area, banned me from all services because they said I made my rape a legal matter and that my rape, not my stage four cancer, was my primary trauma. And because I made my rape a legal matter and I involved investigators that I could no longer receive not only services from their facility, but I could not utilize any of the resources found on their website. That's what a cancer support center did to me. Wow. I'm just so sorry. And I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry all the stuff that we've all experienced because this is not okay to happen. Like this shouldn't be happening in life. It's just crazy to me that these perpetrators think that they could get away with anything and that- But they can get away with it. They get away with it because people help them. Look, this guy didn't lose work. Yeah. He didn't lose anything, but I lost everything. I reported him to the Pasadena Conservatory of Music where he worked. And they launched an actual investigation and they terminated him. And in retaliation, the cancer support center where I was being treated, they literally, literally banned me. Do you know the power that gave that guy? That gave him a lot of power. So he contacted them and got you banned from the cancer support center? I don't know if he contacted them because they said once I involved investigators and the gentleman who raped me, his lawyers got involved that I could no longer come there and receive services. And I'm like, but how did I violate any of your protocols? Yeah. What mistake that, you know, what, what, what did I do that went against your bylaws or that went against the, the rules of being a patient here? I'm still a cancer patient. So these are the things that can be done to you. And there's nothing to do about it. You can't defend yourself. So my mission now you know, the perpetrator, one way or the other, that person's going to be dealt with. They've created karma that's going to come back and get them. But until we start calling out the enablers, until we start calling out the institutions that support and protect these predators, until we, until we start calling out the communities that rally around these people and identify those enablers, in my case, we spark cancer support center did this to me. Yeah, They did this to me after two consecutive years in a row I was the musical director for their jazz fundraisers. I helped these people raise over $100,000 over the course of two years. Yeah. Wow. These guys are just so good at manipulating other people, trying to get other people in trouble for the shit that they created. Yeah. And it's just everyone else is in their path. And it's just like their path of destruction. But how does the victim recover? Who is there for the victim? And I think the survivor community has to do more to step up and help the and help the survivor to help the victim. If Hollywood won't clean up its act, let's create an alternative to Hollywood. Let's create an alternative where we don't have shows, not that it's not a great show, but keep in mind, special LA Law Special Victims Unit has been on television nearly 30 years. And what is the content of that show? We for 30 years have been able to create content about the sexual abuse of girls and women. 
That should horrify us. I'll tell you one thing, though. I watched I watched that show religiously. And because of every episode where there was a survivor that fought back, in my attack, I learned that I had to fight back no matter what. So I feel that those shows are controversy and there are some good things that come out of them, like for my instance, you know, where I watch the show and I learned that in order to survive an attack, you have to fight back. That I understand. But my point is, is that if it weren't for the sexual abuse of women and, and girls and it being so common and even boys and, you know, men don't talk about being sexually abused by other male predators because let's face it, it's harder for a woman to rape a man than it is for a man to be able to rape a woman. Now, a woman certainly can be a predator. She can be predatory, but it's not exactly the same. But I find that women, they become that community, that nucleus that really rally or rallies around the predator and gives him protection. Look, every woman that was abused by J. Epstein was brought to J. Epstein by another woman, by another woman. Not a single man is implicated in that entire scenario that he, uh, this guy trafficked these girls to J.F. Every single victim was brought to him either by a, a supporter or an enabler or another victim. And if you've been a victim of this type of behavior, the moment you become complicit in providing another victim, you can no longer claim victim status. Because just like you brought him another victim, you could have said the buck stops here. I'm not doing that. I'm not bringing you another girl because if you've ruined my life, I cannot be complicit in helping you ruin another life. And these are the conversations we really don't want to have, but we need to be having them and we need to be proactive. I have tried to find organizations that help men who have this urge, this lack of impulse control to get therapy before they hurt someone. Everybody says, well, now I'm in therapy. Yeah, but you've raped 20 women. You've killed two two girls. You've abducted. You've 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 done all these horrible things. Well, why aren't we doing something to say if you think you have this problem, let's get you some help now? Yeah. And that doesn't seem to exist. So it would be great if we put resources into helping men who have those problems. We don't want it. We, you know, we said, well, you know, porn isn't really a problem. Porn is a problem because everybody isn't able to watch that objectively and say, okay, this is for my enjoyment, my, 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 you know, private sexual gratification. But what happens when you become a person that thinks this is how I can treat other people and should treat other people? Yeah. There are very few romances involved in porn. For sure. It's usually, it's true. So it's, it's not about sexual gratification from an emotional perspective it's about sexual gratification from the objectification of another human being and we don't we don't we don't do enough to address those issues in our society and when the victim does you know so many times the victim doesn't report i reported my rape in 2018 nothing happened i found out in 2019 that there was no police report because the school that investigated my allegations told me they said well there's no police report and i'm like what do you mean there's no police report and they still terminated this guy. I went back to the police in 2020 because I had collected pictures of his relationship with the married woman. I, I kept all of the emails that he had sent to me. 
the threats that he had sent to me, you know, he's on a, a record that I recorded and he sent me an email telling me, you better not put that record out. So you're literally threatening my career now. And I was able to take all of this to the police and then they did an actual investigation. They didn't arrest him, but they questioned him and based on, and based on their investigation, do you know the LAPD sent my case to the DA's office? Wow. It is, it is, it is reported that for every 1,000 cases reported, that's yeah. every 1,000 cases reported, only nine to 13 cases are sent to the DA's office. Oh, wow. And my case was one of those cases. And you know what the DA's office said to me? Well, he has rights. And it might be hard for If you can't guarantee us a conviction, we're not going to move forward. Why is it my job, my responsibility to guarantee a conviction? Why don't you present the evidence considering so few of these cases even get to your desk and let the truth fall where it may. But no, it's the victim's responsibility to guarantee a conviction. Yeah. No way to win. I'm just baffled that this happens, that this happens every day to people, that this is a thing. And it's just like, if you have a case, you bring it to them, why shouldn't something be done about it? considering how few cases actually get forwarded to the DA's office. And we don't talk about intimate partner sexual violence. There are so many women who are married to their rapist. And there was a time in this country where you could literally rape your wife and it was considered a private domestic issue. That's, I mean, I may be married, I'm still a human being. There are lots of women in relationships where they've been forced to have or coerced to have sex with a partner that they didn't want to. And if you love the person, if you've had a relationship with the person, somehow you should just get over it as if it didn't do damage to you, as if you're not going to remember that somebody that you were vulnerable with, somebody that you trusted, somebody that you loved, was in love with, could do this to you. And then you're expected to get over it because that's what my abuser, it was like, you know, we remember this differently. No, we don't. Because if we remembered it differently, you would have been writing me the next morning asking me if I blocked my number. Yeah. We didn't remember it differently. And if you've been having a relationship with another woman and she doesn't want to be with you, why are you here again? And I, you know, I went into investigation mode. He invited me to his apartment a couple of times and I took pictures of artwork that she had given him. And I, you know, warned this woman because he said to me, I only got involved with her to protect myself from your allegations. That, I didn't get it in writing, but he said it. And when he said that, I found this woman and I found all the pictures that she had posted on social media of their affair. And I wrote to her and I said, you, you might know about me. You might know things about me, but let me tell you what your lover has been telling me about you. And you should know he has told me that he only got involved with you to protect himself from my allegations of rape. So you are pissing on your marriage for a rapist. Wow. This guy hasn't lost work except for being fired from the Pasadena Conservatory of Music. I've had people write me and literally call me a fucking fake in writing. And I'll be happy to share these emails with you if you'd like to see them. And tell me that I should apologize to him. And tell me they can't believe I have the audacity to have made this public. 
Well, what am I supposed to do with it? Just keep it to myself, right? Well, yeah, that's what you were supposed to do. I know you get a lot still to this day. And I saw some that you posted the other day. And it's just crazy how just women speak to women that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's disgusting. They're enabling, you know. Oh, yeah. They're defending and enabling. I think that's, I, I see that happen so much, especially if you talk about the survivor community, right? Trying to discredit others in its, especially with a, a woman that's claiming it usually hovers around, you know, sexual assault and things of that nature and domestic violence. And they, they just are so quick to blame or excoriate them. And even, even outsiders, you know, I'm sure there are people who will be listening to this program that'll say the same thing. Oh, she knew better. Oh, she was tangled up. She did this. They all have, it's, it's very easy to sit back when you're and see when you're outside the relationship or outside the crime to, say, oh, we see the forest for the trees. But they, they don't know until they're involved in a situation like that where there's manipulation, there's manipulation. Because I'm sure, and I don't know if you want to touch on this, not, I mean, my, my father murdered my mother when I was 11. And one of the things that I think, do, do you feel like, and I know that this has happened to me in relationships where the partner has manipulated that trauma to gain their hold on me, and control me. Do you feel that he could have even used that against you? No, because um, I never told anybody about what happened with my parents, except uh, for my ex-husband. He was the only person that I trusted to tell about that. And I can honestly say that my ex-husband never once, literally never once used that as a weapon against me or as a tool to manipulate me or to control me. And I felt so lucky to have yeah. been in a marriage um, with the guy, and I'm still best friends with my ex-husband. Yeah. I mean, he was the person, you know, I didn't know how to go to him and say, look, I was raped by this guy. And cause I didn't know how my ex-husband would respond, you know, and I know that women can sometimes triangulate a guy against another guy. And it just, it, I mean, sure. it goes from bad to worse. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to put my ex-husband in a situation where he might go and try to defend me and get hurt or worse, end up hurting this guy. And then he's got to spend the rest of his life in jail, you know, and the victim has to now consider all of those things. Yep. I mean, you suddenly have to, you know, think of everything, things that you never thought you had to think about. But when I did tell him and I told him because I was diagnosed with cancer and I wasn't sure how long I had to live. And he said to me, you may love that guy. Personally, I think he's trash, but I'm your ex-husband. So it wasn't my place to tell you not to go for it. He said, and I want you to know, I really hoped that this guy would have turned out to have been a great guy. And I'm sorry he didn't. He said, but I can promise you two things. You may love him and I have no control over that, but you will never need him while you're going through this process. And he kept his word to me. And the second thing he said to me, and you will never have to worry about that guy coming around here ever again. I promise you that. And so that finally gave me a sense of safety. I didn't have to, you know, come in the house and shut myself in my room and cry and him not understand what was going on with me. This concludes part one of our two-part episode with Sandra Booker. Can't wait for part two? Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. 
The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.